The following program is intended to provide general information only, and its host, Tim Decker, recommends that you always seek competent professional guidance for financial, legal, and tax advice, as everyone's specific needs are unique. WHP Talk Radio 580 now presents Financial Freedom with Tim Decker from ISI Financial Group. A full hour of sleep well at night financial guidance from an experienced financial advisor. Talking about This is your financial show, Central PA. Financial Freedom on WHP Talk Radio 580. Well, good morning, everyone. Tim Decker here with you. Welcome to another hour of all things financial. Thank you for joining us here this Saturday morning. Let me give you the phone numbers. If you have anything that you would like to inquire of me, discuss with me, if it's important to you, it's important to me, as it's my goal to be your trusted resource for financial truths. You can reach me here by dialing 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580. And anywhere else, toll free, it's 800-724-5801. Again, that's 800-724-5801. Or locally, it's 717 717- Five four zero zero five eighty, or if you prefer, you can email me live during the show here at ffradio at comcast dot net. Again, that's ffradio at comcast dot net. Where do we want to start? Well, let's talk a little bit about the great news that came out this past week. It seems like so much of the news that we have coming at us all the time is a lot of negativity. So let's talk about something positive to begin the show here. Yesterday, the unemployment numbers came out, and unemployment is down to 3.9%. Phenomenal. That is great news. I don't care if you're an independent, you're a Democrat, you're a Republican, we all like to see jobs for everyone. <clears throat> so that's good news. Also, unemployment for the African-American community is, I believe, at the lowest it's ever been, uh, at 6.6%. So that's great news as well. So in spite of the fact that we have things all over the news in Washington and uh, you know things overseas with North Korea and Iran and, you know, just all kinds of uh, things out there. It's nice to see that the economy is continuing to move forward. People are, are getting jobs. Um, and I know for a fact that colleagues of mine that I speak with, uh, most of them are very busy as business owners and uh, actually many are hiring and I know some that are having a difficult time even finding people to fill jobs. So if you are a worker, this is a good time and hopefully things will continue to improve. 
But lest I remind you, recession recessions are part of a normal economical cycle. And when you look back, you step back and you look at the long term from a historical perspective, uh, on average, we have had recessions about once every four or five years. And uh, we have not had anything like that, obviously, since the Great Recession in 2008. Um, so suffice to say, we are long overdue. I am not in any way, any way whatsoever, forecasting that we are on the verge of a recession. As you know, if you've been a listener to this program, you will know that I remind you over and over again, <clears throat> pay zero attention to those who attempt to forecast. Because as we know, when we look at the evidence, the vast majority of forecasts end up being inaccurate. And that doesn't matter if it's done by the Federal Reserve. It doesn't matter if it's done by some slick talking head on television. It doesn't matter if it's somebody on the radio, somebody writing an article in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. It doesn't matter. What we know is those who forecast their track records are horrible. And as I like to say and remind everyone, Mr. Buffett himself has says that uh, forecasters only exist to make astrologers look good. So, well, yesterday the market surged up 332 points as measured by the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Uh, day by day, week by week, uh, things uh, are up, things are down, things are down, things are up. <clears throat> and uh, that's why when, whenever I'm asked by someone, uh, if, if I'm uh, out and about and uh, social events, it's often asked of me, so what do you think about the markets, Tim? You know, what's, and my answer is always the same. Well, I can tell you exactly what the markets are going to do. They're going to go up and they're going to go down and not necessarily in that order. But what matters is, Stepping back and understand that it's not the short-term ups and downs that matter. It is where are we going to be 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years out. And if you have a plan designed around your specific goals, your objectives, your time horizon, your tolerance for fluctuations, and you have the appropriate types of investments designed to provide you with a all-weather, what I call a beautiful sleep-well-at-night portfolio, you have nothing to worry about. And, in fact, if you are invested properly and soundly and you have a process in place, as we do for our clients, where we are able to and we welcome volatility because it allows us to capitalize by buying more shares of whatever is temporarily down when they are down, which then allows us to make some nice returns off of those when the markets then turn back up. So it's not only important to, to have a plan and a portfolio that allows you to weather out the market de declines, the next 10% correction that we have, the next 20% bear market that we have, 
the next 30% bear market that we have. It's not only important to make sure that you have everything in place that you can weather it, but where your advisor can earn their keep and essentially pay for themselves multiple times over is by what they are doing for you during those volatile times. And if indeed, as I mentioned, we do for our clients with the advanced technology that we have, we are able to buy more shares when they are lower in price. And thus, when markets turn, own more shares on the way up than were owned on the way down, as was the case in 2007, 2008, 2009 and what that does is that really helps you to take advantage of of temporary market declines and because you own more shares as a result when the markets turn and go back up not only will you get back even much faster but you're going to also add to your bottom line returns and uh i i i sincerely meant what i said if you have an advisor that's doing that for you and you know for a fact that 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 your accounts and your portfolios are being monitored daily to look for opportunities during volatile times either through the reinvestment of dividends capital gains or just by rebalancing if things get too far out of whack that advisor again will pay for the nominal fee that you are paying them multiple times over, multiple times over, because I know for a fact that individual investors left to their own investing, those that try to do it themselves, I have yet to meet one that has a dynamic rebalancing process in place. And most often, if they do rebalance, it's typically just on a calendar year arrangement, which is better than nothing at all, but to have a dynamic, ongoing uh, uh, way of rebalancing can really, over time, uh, add to your bottom line returns, especially if it's implemented and it's uh, if it takes place during down markets. Okay, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, we'll pick right back up. And again, if you have anything you'd like to discuss with me, don't be shy. You can reach me here at 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580. Toll free, 800-724-5801. Or you can email me live here at ffradio at comcast.net. We'll be right back. Blurs.com. Always in high gear to bring you the latest news. News Radio WHP 580. Your share was like point. 0.22 and 0.28, and the distribution on the um, admiral shares are 1.0 and 1.25 in the you know the last two. So my question is, does it make sense to even go to the admiral shares? Because I can technically buy more shares of the investor shares. You understand, I can buy like four shares of them compared to one share of the Admiral yeah, because um, of the price. Right. But the, the, if, you, if you look at the total return, Bill, um, understand that they are the exact same fund. 
the fund is the yeah. same. The only thing that's different is what they're charging for the ongoing expense ratio, the ongoing management fee. So um, that when you when you take into consideration everything, your net total return with the admiral shares will actually be better off. Okay, even though I'm buying less shares every weekly or biweekly, however I'm buying my sending money well, into my IRA. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not just how many shares that you buy; it's the price that you pay for shares. Let me, I'll, I'll give you an example. If I have ten dollars and I buy a share of one fund and the share price is ten dollars, I'm going to get one share. Okay. If I take that same ten dollars and I buy a share of a fund where the share price is $5, but because I send them $10, I'm going to get two shares. Two shares at $5 is the exact same thing as one share at $10. Yeah, well, that's why I was asking, because the share price for the investor was $25 a share, and the Admiral is $105 a share. So roughly, if I'm buying four investment shares, I'm buying the same as one Admiral share. You got it. So it doesn't matter more or less because I'm still yep, probably going to make out on the distribution and the expense. You will make out. It's simple math, absolutely. Okay. And you answered my other question a couple weeks ago with a dynamic rebalancing. Okay, good, good. I hope that helps. Well, that was it. Yep, thanks. All right, Bill. I wish you well. Yeah, it's 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 important important to look at the whole equation when you're investing in shares, um, whether it be funds or individual stocks, which I hope you're not buying individual stocks. You know how I feel about that as a result of not my opinion, but as a result of what all of the evidence clearly shows that that is the odds are so stacked against you. Um, but with that being said, remember that the total account value or the total value is a combination of not just how many shares you own, but the, the number of shares times the share price. So if you own one share at 10 bucks or two shares at five, or as Bill said, one share at a hundred dollars or four at 25, uh, your value is still the same, which means the Admiral shares with their lower expense, ratio is going to yield a bottom line net return that's going to be more than the investor class so okay anyone else 717-540-0580 717-540-0580 or toll free 800-724-5801 or you can email me ffradio at comcast.net one of my favorite reports recently came out again they update this i believe every six months and it's called it's the standard and poor dow jones spiva index spiva s-p-i-v as in victor a as in alpha the spiva scorecard and spiva stands for standard and poor indexes versus active managers and what they do is they go back and they look at the entire database of 
actively managed mutual funds, and they look and see how many of them actually outperformed their benchmarks. And they break them down into different categories. Well, the most recent one that which just came out uh, in the last several weeks uh, looks at these numbers ending December 2017. And what we consistently see, and again, this, this is part of the evidence that you hear me talking about over and over again and how I always urge you to make your investing decisions, make your decisions as to who you are working with as it pertains to a financial advisor, always make all of those decisions based upon the evidence, not what you feel, not what somebody else feels, not what somebody thinks, not not somebody uh, uh, who sounds so intelligent that 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 you can get seduced into believing that they have some secret sauce as to how they can help you invest but instead always look at the evidence the evidence supported by arithmetic <clears throat> and what we see in the most recent spiva scorecard again that's standard and poor dow jones spiva scorecard is when you go back and you up through the period of December 2017, if you go back and look over the one-year, three-year, five-year, 10-year, and the 15-year time period that they now have, the evidence is so overwhelming as to why you would never want to even consider actively managed mutual funds or actively managed investment accounts where you're paying somebody trying to pick stocks or bonds versus just building a beautiful globally diversified portfolio of generic index funds if you are trying to do this on your own or even better yet if you have access to a fee-only financial advisor who can work with institutional asset class funds um, that is going to even be uh, a better option but anyway let's just let me just share just a few of the numbers when they looked first of all at all domestic mutual funds that's all US based mutual funds if you go back over the last three years 83% of all U.S.-based mutual funds underperformed their benchmarks. If you go back over the last five years, 86% underperformed their benchmarks. Go back over the last 10 years, it's 86%. And if you go back over the last... 15 years, it's 83% of actively managed mutual funds underperform their benchmarks. And by the way, this doesn't even take into consideration the cost of taxes, which I will talk a little bit about that uh, after the news. When we, when, when we look at some specific categories, when you look at large company U.S. stock funds, 
compared against the S&P 500 index over the last five years, 84% didn't even match the S&P 500 index. Over the last 15 years, 92% of large cap U.S. stock funds have not even matched the S&P 500 index. Small cap, over the last five years, 91% did not match their index, their benchmark. And over the last 15 years, that is, uh, let's see, 95.73% of actively managed small cap stock funds did not outperform their benchmark. We're going to go to the news when we pick right back up, but we're going to look at some of the same numbers for international funds. And then also I want to specifically discuss with you three or four of the very common and most costly mistakes that I see investors making over and over again. And I would bet many of you are making these same mistakes yourself. And if you sit down and calculate how much this is costing you annually, I think you will be very surprised. All right, let's go to news. When we come back, we'll pick right back up. Again, if you have anything you'd like to speak with me about, don't be shy. You can reach me here, 717-540-0580 or toll-free, 800-724-5801, or you can email me at ffradio at comcast.net. I'm Tim Decker, and this is Financial Freedom. News at the touch of a button. WHP 580. Listening here on your Saturday morning as it looks at least here in central Pennsylvania that we have some warmer weather at last. But hopefully we're not going to completely skip spring and jump right into summer. But uh, that's up to the good Lord above and we don't have the final say on that. So we will just enjoy what we have. Um, I received an email, um, and I was reading it during the break here. I'll just summarize it. Um, it says, uh, we're 76 and 73 years of age and not financially savvy, so we really value your financial opinions and insights on your show. We, we received this mailer, and they took a picture of it and sent it to me, um, from their local bank offering some CD promotions. And basically the CDs that are being promoted and offering them are they have one. Um, it looks like it's a four-year CD where they would offer a two-year guaranteed rate of 2.02. And then in the third year, it bumps up to 4.06, and it pays that 4.06 for the last two years. So just to make it simple, 2% for two years and then 4% for the last uh, two years of the term for a four-year time commitment. And it was from Jeff and Linda from Mount Joy, and they're asking me, is this a good option for our IRA um, uh, or are there better options out there? Those rates are pretty competitive, um, Jeff and Linda. What I would suggest that you do is I would find out 
if you wanted to instead, just so you can get a comparison, what type of rates would they offer you if you set up a laddered CD? Say you bought one that locks it up for two years, you bought a different one that locks it up for three years, you bought a different one that locks it up for four years, and maybe even one for five years. What I like about the laddered CD approach is you are hedging yourself against interest rate risk. In other words, the one risk with this type of CD that they are offering you here is you're going to be locked in regardless of what interest rates do for the next four years. Now, you know what you're going to be locked in at, obviously, but we have indeed seen interest rates going up in money markets, in CDs, and if the economy continues on its uh, uh, strengthening momentum here, as we've seen, then you will most likely continue to see interest rates go up. However, however, no one knows for sure. And one of the smartest things to always remember when you're investing in anything, whether it's a CD, whether it's a uh, stock mutual fund or a bond mutual fund, is start with the premise that no one, no one knows what's going to happen in the short term to interest rates, to the stock market, to the bond market, and trying to make any decisions as a result of what somebody thinks or somebody tries to forecast is a fool's errand. So the more that you start out with the premise, I nor anyone else can accurately predict what's going to happen in the short term, what that is going to lead to is an automatic argument for diversification. And the way you diversify with CDs is to protect yourself against interest rate risk. And if you ladder them out, have one like I said, maybe two-year, a three-year, a four-year, maybe even a five-year, if interest rates keep going up over the next year, well, at least you're going to have the one in two years. That one's going to be coming due. So if rates are higher in two years, you'll be able to roll that one over into a new one at a higher rate. And if interest rates remain where they're at, you're still going to have a nice yield. But if interest rates go down over the next year or two or three, you're going to have hedged yourself because you're going to have locked in some of these at a four and five year guarantee. So by hedging yourself through this laddered approach, it doesn't have to be a two-year, you may want to do a one-year, a one-year, two-year, three-year, and four-year, or a one-year, three-year, and a five-year. But the concept that I'm trying to drive home here is that is a way to not have to worry about what interest rates are doing. You've got yourself covered either way. If interest rates go up, you're going to have the shorter maturity one coming due, and you'll be able to roll that over in a new CD at higher rates, if interest rates go down, you're going to have a couple of these locked in for four, five years. So either way, you completely take that worry off the table of what interest rates are doing. And it's the same thing that we do for our clients with our bond mutual funds. Um, 
we use a very similar laddered approach. I'm a huge fan of having some short-term U.S. government bonds, but also some intermediate-term government bonds for the exact same reason. You've got yourself covered either way. If interest rates go up, the short-term bonds and in the bond funds are going to be coming due much faster, so they'll be able to reinvest at higher yields in newer bonds. But again, if interest rates remain the same or they go lower by having some in some inter intermediate-term bonds where the average duration is like five and a half years and the average maturity of those bonds is like six years, you've got yourself covered either way. So I hope that helps, and uh, it was great to hear from you. So in summary, look and see what kind of rates they would offer you for the latter approach, and then you can do a comparison. Um, and by all means, you know, you can look at other banks uh, as well. But I personally would not want to lock myself in right now for a four-year CD. So, okay, let's take our last break uh, right now. We're a minute early, but let's go ahead and take it. And when we come back, I'm going to pick up and uh, – give you just a few more numbers on that SPIVA report as it pertains to international mutual funds. And then I want to uh, talk a little bit about some very common and costly mistakes that I see investors making in their portfolios. And as I said, I would bet some of you are making these same mistakes. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Breaking, breaking news, viral videos, and all that's trending. WHP580.com. 8.4% is the number for how many are actually bullish and optimistic. 30.2% are outright bearish. And 41.4% of individual investors um, are like deer in the headlights. They don't know what to do. There you go mark themselves as neutral, I guess. So, Okay, so I mentioned that there are – oh, oh, I don't know. That's right. I wanted to uh, – don't let me forget. Let me bring that back up here. I wanted to just uh, wrap up uh, with the, uh, the international mutual funds uh, and how many uh, of those have been – have not matched their benchmarks. So when we look at, let's see here, those are domestic. The international, I'm scrolling down to it. Bear with me. Okay. So for international funds, um, what we have is, you know what? That page shut down on me. So, uh, we will come back. I'll, I'll make sure and uh, have that next week. So let's talk about some of the, as I mentioned before the break, some of the very common and very costly mistakes when it comes to investing that I see people make. I meet with people several times a week. I have many people that come in that just want an opinion, a second of set of eyes to look over uh, their current investments. Many times they've either been trying to do it on their own or they're working with 
another advisor and uh, they just want to get get a second opinion on it. So in regularly seeing this, one of the things that I see over and over again is something that is called overlap. And overlap is basically having a collection or what I respectfully refer to as a hodgepodge of investments. Um, I'll look at their brokerage statement, whether it's held at Vanguard, whether it's uh, at Schwab, TD Ameritrade, or Edward Jones, or whatever broker they're working with. And when I look at the different investments that they have, many times there is a an overlap. In other words, they may own or you may own several different mutual funds. Let's say you own several stock mutual funds and let's say you happen to be a Vanguard where maybe you own the S&P 500 index fund, you own the Vanguard total stock market index and maybe you own say Vanguard Windsor 2 or Vanguard Wellington or Vanguard Wellesley um, or the Vanguard Prime Cap whatever it is, the point is when you own several different stock funds, many, many times if you look under the hood and you actually see the companies that these stock funds own, it's quite often that they own some, if not many, of the same companies. As an example, the S&P 500 index and the total stock market index uh, you have a significant amount of overlap in there because the total stock market index is essentially going to own the S&P 500 in it as well as other companies as well. So you have overlap or duplication. And when you have duplication amongst different mutual funds, the diversification that you think you have is not accurate. And it can also add to some extra costs as it pertains to buying and selling. Because you can have one fund manager that might be selling some Apple stock, and you can have another fund manager that's buying it. So by having too many different mutual funds, unless you know that they are each one of them in a separate asset class fund, I see it over and over again, people have a lot of overlap. And that can add to expenses. That can add to costs because you can have unnecessary trading going on by these managers and you really have no real good sense as to what your allocations are. Diversification is not defined by how many mutual funds you have or how many stocks you have. Diversification should be how your money is spread out amongst different and unique asset cl classes, like having a fund that invests in small cap, having a fund that invests in large cap, having some value stocks, having some growth stocks, having some large company international, having some small company company international, having some international value, having some international growth. A beautiful, properly set up portfolio will have anywhere between 10 to 14 different and unique asset classes without having that overlap. So 
if you have your investments spread out all over the place or you have three or four mutual funds, make sure that you have those as distinct and unique asset classes. Something else I see a lot is many of you who use actively managed mutual funds, have you ever taken the time at the end of the year in your taxable accounts to look on your tax return and see how much you're paying in the way of taxes as a result of uh, a lot of buying and selling that takes place within actively managed mutual funds? If you've not done that, pull out your tax return and look at the amount of taxes that you're paying as a result of high turnover, a lot of buying and selling within the mutual funds. Remember, that needs to be subtracted from your net returns. Something else I see is people do not keep track of their lots and their shares when they are investing. You may have mutual funds, you may have individual stocks, but what type of accounting method do you have in place to account for every share that you purchase, whether you add money or you reinvest? And the reason this is important is people don't think about it when you're accumulating shares, but when the time comes to start withdrawing and selling shares, how are you going to know which shares to sell first? One of the things that we emphasize, and it's so important, is we keep track of every single share that a, that a, a client invests in. We keep track of shares that are purchased as a result of, of uh, dividends and cap gains, and we track it based upon the highest cost. And the reason we want to know what shares are always going to be the highest cost is Guess what? When the time comes that you start withdrawing money from your taxable accounts, all things equal, you want to sell first the shares that have the highest cost, thus, thus the least capital gains. And then finally, something that's called asset location. For those of you that are in higher tax brackets, this is imperative. Asset location is having your investments set up in such a way that your tax inefficient investments like your bond funds as much as possible are held in your tax deferred accounts like your IRAs and your tax efficient investments like your stocks and stock funds are held in your taxable accounts. All of that alone, all of that alone, if that's being done for you by your financial advisor, that alone can pay for more, more than offset any advisory fee that you're paying to your advisor. That's why I often say a good financial advisor will pay for themselves and ultimately will not cost you anything and can help you help you with bottom line net returns versus not having these procedures in place. Well, time has come, time has gone, and uh, I just want to say again, I thank you for taking time to join me here Saturday mornings. I hope our time is valuable. And uh, as always, let me remind you, in the world of investing, it's never too late to do the right thing. Don't procrastinate. 
make the priority. Get your financial house in order. Take care. <laughs>